So this morning we look at spiritual maturity. James over the last 11 weeks was teaching us how to live mature Christian lives. And though we need that in the church today, we need people to grow up and to be mature. And may I say maturity doesn't come by age. Maturity comes by accepting your responsibilities. And as a child of God, as a Christian, you have responsibilities that you need to accept and live by. That is maturity. Not growing out. I don't want to hear how long you've been serving God. You might be serving God for 20 years or 40 years, or, but you might still be immature in Christ. Are you with me now? And this is what James is talking about. The leader of the church. Today we're going to finish this chapter in this book. What a wonderful book it was. And he ends it in a wonderful way. We finish our sentence this morning saying, A mature Christian is prayerful. A mature Christian is prayerful. What does that mean? Prayerful means he's full of prayer. If you turn it around. Full of prayer. Are you full of prayer this morning? Are you a praying Christian? Uh, this book is full of warnings. We saw them. It's full of rebukes. He rebuked a lot of things. You remember when he spoke about the tongue? And he said, watch your tongue. You remember when he spoke about fights that goes on in the church? It's full of rebukes and warnings. He says, stop fighting. The same thing that Paul said at the latter stage to Galatians. He says, watch out. You're going to consume each other. You're going to eat each other up. Stop fighting in church. It's full of warnings, full of rebukes. But now, he ends on a positive way, on a positive note. And this is how preaching in the church should be. You find so many preaching about problems and warnings and rebukes and what's going on in the world, and people fret by that. But good teaching needs to come back to teaching the Word of God and end on a positive note. Always. That's what good teaching is. And he shows us the way in the book of James. He ends on a positive note here. Good teaching is what he does here. Uh, you should never, never just have warning and let it stand alone. That's when law comes in. And, and people will preach law from the pulpits. So he wants to tell us today to be prayerful. Prayer is such a wonderful blessing we have. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is a communication between you and the unseen God. Romans chapter 1 talks about the unseen God. Although He's unseen, He manifests Himself so much to us that we know He's there. We're talking to Christians in the church here today. We're not talking to the world who reject Him to their own folly. We're talking to you and me. We're talking to us who believes in God, though we see Him not. But prayer is such a wonderful medium for us to talk to God. I want to ask you at the, at the start of this message today, how is your prayer life? How is it? Because let me tell you, that is your strength as a child of God, is prayer. James taught us for weeks now. He wrote a whole book, a whole letter to these churches but he ends in prayer. One of the most important things for the child of God, reading your word and praying. 
That will make you grow. So let's read the passage this morning in James chapter 5, verse 13. Old camel knees, they called him. This James. Old camel knees. I'll explain. James 13, 5 verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed a sin, he will be forgiven. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful just to read those words that if he is a sinful man and he confesses, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you want to avail much as a child of God, read those words again and again and again. It is prayers that will make you avail much. He says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and years and six months, three, three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if any one of you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow, those are powerful words. Those words should struck you in your heart. He ends talking about prayer. Have you noticed how many times he uses the word prayer in the last chapter of his book? the last paragraphs of his, of his letter to this church, seven times. I think prayer is important, don't you? He says, let him pray. You see, it's singular. He says, let them pray. That's plural. You as a child of God should pray on your own. You should go into your inner closet or wherever you pray to God and you should call out to God. We as a church who collectively come together and pray, he says, let them pray. And then he talks about the prayer of faith. Is your prayer a prayer of faith? And then he talks about pray for one another. You see this? Without even preaching about it, you can make up a sermon just by highlighting out what he talks about prayer. He says, the effective, fervent prayer, you know, effective Permanent means a passionate prayer. Passionate prayer. Is there passion in your prayer? I'll tell you something, friend. If you're in trouble, there will be passion in your prayer. Oh, that's when they call on the name of God. We're going to see it in a minute. He says, he prayed earnestly. You see that? 
And he prayed again. And I want to add to that again and again and again and again. Your prayers, my dear friends, needs to be again and again and again. Prayer is not something which you tick off on a, on, on a, on a list and say, I've prayed and that's it for a month. I've got a wonderful relationship with my wife and my family. If I walk into my house and I don't speak to her for a month, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We call it quietness sickness. And I've just translated straight out of Afrikaans. Still staper. <laughs> Still staper means quietness sickness. I can't think of a better word for that. But it means you keep, you know what I'm talking about. You don't talk to your wife and she don't talk to you and there's this awkwardness going on for days and you can't keep that up for a week, not even two days. You go, what's wrong? Well, nothing, but you don't talk to me. And then you quiet again and he goes, there's got to be something wrong here. What's wrong? Oh, come on, there's nothing wrong, but why don't you talk to me? I wonder if God asked you that question this morning, what's wrong? Well, well, nothing, Lord. Why don't you talk to me then? Prayer is important to a child of God. You will manage nothing in life without the prayer to God. And this is what old camel knees talk to us about. You know why they called James old camel knees? Because he prayed so much on his knees that they say that he had calluses on his knees. What was he praying for? He was praying for the people. He was praying himself. He had a conversation with God. It is known in the book of Acts that he was the leader of the church. Oh, that put a lot of burden on him to pray even more. Praying for his family. Praying for his friends. Praying for lost souls. You've got so much to pray about. Not just to go to Lord and say, Oh Lord, I'm in trouble, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. No, no. Go to God and have a conversation with Him. This is what old Kamal Nis is teaching us. You know that they took this man onto the pinnacle of the temple? Because he was such a faithful man. Because he stood on the word of God. They took him up there. And they pushed him off to kill him. Old camel knees, James, the man who writes to you and me seven times that we need to keep our prayer life up. But he wasn't afraid because he trusted in the God he spoke to. They pushed him off, but the fall didn't kill him. So I think, this is me thinking this, that for one more time, this old camel knees on those old calluses knees pushed himself up into a prayerful position. And they say in the book of Martyrs, they came around and clubbed him to death. What an honorable place to be killed off on your knees, standing before God. Think of that. He warned us so much. He spoke to us about spiritual maturity and he comes to the end and he talks to us about prayer. There is... Four reasons that he gives us in this passage to pray. Four reasons. And I want us to unpack them. First of all, he says, pray when you suffer. 
Oh, look, I'll tell you one thing this morning. You don't need to ask people to pray when they suffer. They pray. I've seen it all over my life. If people suffer, that's when they come to the prayer meetings. If people suffer, that's when they come to church. He says here, if, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Let him pray. You see that? It's directly. The word suffering means it is difficult circumstances. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been in difficult circumstances recently? In your family? In your workplace? Things that you thought was going to turn out for you didn't turn out the way you want them to turn out? He's not talking about sickness here, by the way. He's talking about circumstances. I think if I ask people here about suffering, we will get a lot of stories about suffering, wouldn't we? I don't think there's not a person in this place, young and old, who didn't suffer in their lives. So he says it right there. He says, when you suffer, you've got one of two choices you can do. You can criticize, you can complain, and you can fight. Isn't that what a lot of people do when they suffer? They will tell you, listen, the world will tell you it's the natural instinct of an animal to do this. If you suffer, what do you do? You protect. But praise God, you and I aren't animals. We were made in the image of God. We don't have to operate and act like animals. But still people do. They criticize when they suffer. I've seen it so many times. They complain when they suffer. Oh, it is so difficult. I'm suffering. And they complain all around the world. But you see what I've learned from complainers? Complainers do not want help. They want sympathy. Complainers do not want the solution. Complainers do not want to fix it. Because they've made that decision, I'm going to complain about my sufferings. And I want you to have pity on me. Or, James says one other thing. He says, you can pray. Do you see that? So, out of those two, which one of those two do you think is the best decision to do? I would say pray. You see, when James wrote it, he didn't give it to you like I did. He didn't say there's two choices you have. For him, there is only one choice for you to do when you suffer. And that is to do what? To pray. The answer to your suffering this morning is going to be prayer. Nobody else can help you but God in that suffering. So you bring your sufferings to God. Why do we do that? Because we need wisdom in times of suffering. And why do we need wisdom? Because I'll tell you one thing that I've seen over my life is that you are going to make the wrong decision because you make your decisions on emotions when you are in sufferings. Emotions arrive and you make so many decisions when you're emotional. And I've seen it over my life that those are generally the wrong decisions. Here is the thing about prayer. Prayer needs a patient heart. Somebody who can wait upon God. Emotion drives you on to get on with it. 
So prayer is the best thing you can do when you suffer. There's so many sufferings we can talk about. But you're going to need wisdom in times of suffering. And this is why James knows the best thing for you to do is to pray. To pray. This is a personal prayer. James chapter 1 verse 5, he's already said this. He says, but if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and with no reproach, and it shall be given to him. So if you're in a suffering state right now, the best thing is to hit your knees and to call upon God. And this is how you pray that prayer. Say, Lord, give me wisdom in my suffering. But you know what the prayer is these days? People say, oh Lord, take me out of the suffering. Oh Lord, take me out of the suffering. How long, Lord? How long? That's what he says. He says, ask for wisdom. Because so many times God wants to teach you something in your suffering. Suffering builds resilience. Prayerfully suffering builds resilience. We notice already what he said to us, it builds character. These things are important. So, this is what he's saying to us. He says, if anyone amongst you is suffering, let him pray. You see that it is singular there? He didn't say let them pray. A suffering is something where you go to your knees and between you and God you speak it out. Look, he doesn't say that you can come to people, brothers and sisters, and, and share with them and you all pray together. He doesn't say that. But he says, you first go to God in prayer. Now, he gives us just a direct opposite now. He says, if anyone is cheerful, you see you're either suffering or cheerful. But when you're cheerful, let him sing psalms. It is so wonderful for me, the contrast here. Because pray, pray, prayer and singing is two expressions that we are blessed with. Have you noticed the spelling error there? It's not a prayer where you pay with your ephos card, okay? It's prayer. Prayer and singing is two expressions that we are blessed with. Have you thought about that? He says, if you are joyful, what do you do? You come to the Lord and you sing psalms to Him. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, he says, Let the word of God, Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Oh, I love to sing. This morning I wanted to sing loud, but I couldn't. You know, I thought by myself, I'm not going to sing a word, I'm just going to save my voice for preaching, and I'm not going to sing, but I couldn't hold it back, could I, David? I couldn't hold it back. I just can't hold back singing. Why? Because I've got a joyful heart to the Lord. And you know what is so wonderful? We sing our songs during the week. You know what happens to me and Leonie? We wake up in the morning and this song is just stuck there. And you wake up and I sing that song over and over again. I get into the shower and I sing it over and over again. You know what I'm going to sing this week? I know it's going to happen. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to sing, you know, burdens are lifted at Calvary. At Calvary, at Calvary. And you know what it does? It lifts your soul. It lifts your soul. Driving down the motorway, singing along. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Oh, the guy next to me thinks, oh, you know, it's good these days we've got Bluetooth. Back in the old days, we didn't have Bluetooth. They go, what's going on with this guy? He's talking with himself. But what he doesn't know is because I've got a joyful heart, I sing psalms to God. That's what he says. Friends, 
I'll tell you what, the difference between having suffering and having joy is paper thin. Yes? Am I talking to real people here? So, why is it that when you're in a time of joy that you keep your mouth shut? Because tomorrow could be suffering. But for now, in this moment, I'm going to sing praises to God. One man once said that you can see a man's state, a Christian state, in the way that he worships. I, I kind of like that. I think it's true. Oh, people can worship the people of the world and jump up and down for their sports teams because they are so joyful, man. My team is winning. Woo-hoo! But when it comes to God and He gives you joy that ever lasts, any, can you remember your most favorite team that you got in whatever sport it is? Could you remember 20 years ago whether they won the final or not? How is that making you feel? Oh, it's some of the past. But the joy of the Lord stays with you forever. Let that joy be in your hearts, he says. He says, if someone's suffering, let him pray. But if he's cheerful, let him sing psalms to the Lord. So the first prayer that he talks about is to pray when you suffer. Then he says, pray for the sick. Let us pray for the sick. Verse 14, he says, If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then he says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I must say that this scripture verse has been hijacked hijacked by the, by the uh, Word of Faith movement. They quote it out of context. They have people coming up and they want to anoint every single person. And they say, God's going to heal you and it's your faith that's not healing you. That's not what we preach in this church. We preach it as it stands right there. He says, if any one of you is sick, what do you do? He comes to the church and he calls upon the elders. The previous one was a single, let him pray. This is a plural, he says, let them pray. Now we come together as a church and we pray for this brother or sister. And then he says we bring the oil out. Now let me just say it here clearly. The oil does not heal the person. It's not the oil that heals the person. What's healing the person? It's faith. But it's faith in the will of God. Over years, friends, I've seen, we've prayed for a lot of people. I can tell you that. I can tell you about miracles that I've seen happen. That we've prayed over people, young children in New Zealand. We prayed over them and, and God miraculously healed them. But I've also seen people coming for that healing, but they were not healed. Because it's got to be in the will of God. It's in the will of God. You have to understand that. You have to understand, this is not some, some trick that you can pull and, and you greet people and they leave their crutches all around the place and so on. That's not what this is all about. Notice, there's a few things that we can, lessons that we pick up here. The person here that he's talking about is sick because of sin. Did you know that sin that you do can make you sick in your body? Did you know that? It is true. Sin will make you sick. I've seen it again. It's written in the Word of God and I've got proof of, of experience. If you continue with your sinful life, it will manifest itself in your body. This is the same thing. 
The sin led to sickness. You remember when, uh, when Paul talks to Corinthians and he wrote to them in Corinthians chapter 11, when they came to the Lord's table, he says, some of you were sick. Why? Because of your sin that you conducted. The sin for this person or the sickness for this person is because of sin. And the sin affects the whole church. Why? He came and he confessed and there is also healing for this kind of sickness. You see, it's not just a blank statement out there. And you know what I've got it against these people who says we're going to have a healing service here tonight at 6? Who in the world are you to dictate to God when the healing service is going to happen? You know what you're doing? You're putting God like a monkey on a stage and say, perform. That's what you do. Oh, tonight at 6, you better be here and bring all the sick. Bring all the sick. We're going to lay hands on them and they're going to be healed. And what if God is not turning up? Because He's not working on your schedule in His time. In His time. Just thought I threw it out there. This is not that kind of sickness He's talking about. <clears throat> you see, He says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith. What is He talking about? What is it? What is the prayer of faith? And I've heard it so many times where these faith healers, they come out and, and they lay hands on them and then nothing happens to the person and they turn around and say, oh, yeah, but you're faith. It's not my fault. It's not me. It's you. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't even know what is the prayer of faith. What is the prayer of faith? Well, let's find some clues in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. When John writes down and says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will. That is the key of that verse. If we stop it right there, if we chop it off there, and if we say if we ask anything, He will give it to us. You know what? That's the biggest error in life. Because now I can ask a brand new Ferrari. I don't like Ferraris, but let's say that, okay? And you know what? God's got to give it to me because He promised that. But is it in His will to give that to me? No, it's not. It might be for somebody else, but not for me. And you know, all what they're doing is they are breaking down the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not helping people. No, He says the prayer of faith, it's, it's the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, well, so ever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we desire of Him. And then I've met somebody and they said, you need to pray and then you pray in. And I go, what is that? I didn't know you had to pray in. How do you pray in? Oh, you keep on praying until you get in. How do you know when you're in? I, you just get a feeling over you. That's wishy-washy. God never wrote His Bible on wishy-washy doctrine. It is secure, it can be tested and backed up by Scripture. I've just backed it up by scripture for you. No, no. When I pray, I trust God. I don't have to pray in. Or you have to pray higher. Somebody told me that once. He says, no, your prayers are only here on the earth. You need to pray higher. I go, how do you pray higher? Get on a chair, get on a roof, get in a tree, get in a building? No, this is the effective prayer. You know, he, he says it there. He says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It means that people will get healed. 
But then he goes further on. He says, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Praise God for that. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And here again, here again, I need to correct as far as I go of things that I hear. Here again, there are people who say, oh, you better come out and stand in front of the whole church and confess your sin. That's not what he's saying there. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? He says, if I've done something against a brother, I go, first of all, I've sinned against God. So I ask God to forgive me for my sin. And if I've done the brother wrong, then I go to the brother and I confess my sin to him. I go, brother, I've gossiped about you. I'm so very sorry and I ask your forgiveness. I've asked God to forgive me because it's a sin. And I ask you now because I've wronged you. That's how I confess my sin. Oh, no, but now the people say, wait a minute. The reason why the church is not going forward is because you haven't got confession services. And, and you know what? I'll tell you one thing today. I have worked with young people who's out of the church, and I wonder if they will ever come back to the church because of this nonsense going on in churches. Oh, and then there's some who believes that we're going to shake you. Have you heard that one? If you come up here, we'll shake you until the sin comes out of you. And now I know of a young lady who when she was young was brought forward in church and somebody saw some devil in her and they tried to shake it out. And you know today she's operating in the occult. What are we doing out of wisdom? You see, this is why prayer brings you to God and it gives you wisdom. Wisdom. No, no, he says, confess your trespasses. So we pray for the sick. We lay hands on them and we anoint them with oil. And let me just say this. I've seen these things happening as well. He doesn't say that we anoint every single person now with every single thing we do with oil. No, no, he says, when somebody's sick, you bring the oil out and you anoint them. There's so many things that we need to just come to the Word of God. And then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The passionate prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then thirdly, he says to us that we need to pray for the nation. I like to put it down this way. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it could not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What a wonderful example of a man who prayed, like the previous verse says. Look at it. He says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he brings to us Elijah. Elijah. And he gives us an example. We remember Elijah. The background of this happened in 1 Kings chapter 17. You remember Elijah? The main characters there was Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah. So uh, uh, King Ahab and Jezebel, they led Israel astray into false worship, idol worship. And what happened? God stopped the rain. And rain is a blessing from God. Do you realize that? God said it in Deuteronomy. He says that rain will be a blessing. In Deuteronomy and further on, He says that the, if, if He stops the rain, the, the sky will be like bronze and the earth will be like iron. That's what the Bible says. And, and it amazes me, friends, when like this morning when it rained, I praised the Lord for the rain. We were singing in it. Where I was looking outside the window there, and I saw the raindrops falling on the ground. And I say, thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Because, friends, if this stops, the, the sky will become like bronze, and the earth will become like iron. 
and it will not yield up fruit. There's such a big drought going on in Cape Town now. I've heard Eureka told me yesterday and Eugene. There's such a big drought. You know what they say? They say that in January the water is going to be up. There's going to be no water. So they'll have to send in the defense force to stand at the water points and start giving out water. Yet, when it rains like this morning, I hear people curse it. Oh, what an awful day. No, it's not. It's a blessing from God. Here in this passage, Ahab, it wasn't raining. It wasn't raining at all. For three and a half years, the heavens were closed on that place. And you know what happened? And then we saw him taking on Baal prophets on the mountain of Carmel. You remember that? And then after that, listen to this. This is the prayer of a man, the effective and permanent prayer of a man. They started praying for rain. And he had a young man with him. And he prayed the first time. He prayed for rain. And he sent the young man onto the hill. He says, go and tell me what you see. And the young boy come running back and he says, I see nothing. And you know what some people will do? They'll give up their prayer life. Oh, there's not a God in heaven. You know what he did? He prayed a second time. He called upon God for rain. He says, Lord, send us that blessing. And he sent this young man again up. And he runs up onto the hill and he looked over, over the sea. He could see nothing. It's blue skies. He runs back to him. He says, there ain't nothing there. And you know what some people will do, Andre? They'll give up their prayer life. And others will give them instruction and say, oh, wait, just wait. No, not this man. No, no. He went back a third time. He hit his knees and he called out to God. He says, please, Lord, give us that blessing. He sent this young man. He runs up there. He says, what do you see? He came back. He says, I see nothing. There ain't nothing there. Three times. Three times he called upon God. You know what some people will do? They'll give up their prayer life. Not this man. No, no. Passionately and fervently and effectively he hit his knees for a fourth time. He calls upon God. He says, Lord, think about the nation. Think about the people. Don't think about me, Elijah. He was sitting in the same thing. You, you realize that? He was in the drought. He himself. He didn't bemoan his own state, but he thought about the people. And for the fourth time, he stands up. He sends the young man up there. He runs out there. He comes back. He says, I ain't see nothing. Oh, Elijah, why don't you just give up? What other people would say. Oh, Elijah, where is that God of yours which was so mighty full on Mount Carmel? You remember when you prayed one time, one time on the mountain. What happened? Fire came and he consumed the whole offering. Where is this God now, Elijah? You see, this is what happens with people when they pray and call upon God. Doubt starts coming in and doubt paralyzes their faith. Not for this man. He hit his knees for the fifth time and the sixth time. For the fifth and the sixth time, he sent this boy up there and he came back and he says, Elijah, I'm so tired running. This is only my words, by the way, but I love thinking it through. He says, there ain't nothing there, Elijah. I'm telling you the truth. There ain't nothing there. And by now, surely this man of God could have given up his prayer life. Everybody would have said, you've done well. Man, you are a prayer man of God. You've done well, but not him. He wasn't satisfied. You know why? Because God didn't send that blessing. He hit his knees for a seventh time. Seventh time. And he called upon the Lord. And I can just think of his passionate prayer for the people. They are dying, God. They are dying without rain. 
And he sent that young man up and he ran up there. And you know what he came back? He says, I see from the sea a cloud as small as a man's hand. Oh, this is so wonderful. It is so wonderful. What is a small cloud? The sun can burn it away. Have you seen clouds? I've seen them from under. I fly above them. It's so wonderful for me to see clouds. I love clouds. But the sun can burn them away. The wind can blow them away. A small cloud like a man's hand. But see the faith. See the man who's got a fervent and passionate prayer life. This man turns to this young man. He says, you go to Ahab now and tell him to get his chariots ready and go home. Because if he's not getting now, he will be caught in the rain. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the prayer of a fervent man. Maybe you see this man prayed for the nation. This is an example of a righteous man who prayed effective and fervent. And you know what he did? He availed. Paul writes to Timothy, that young pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, First of all, then, I exhort that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made, to listen to this now, for all men. Pray for the people, pray for the nation. I'll tell you one thing, dear friend, there's a drought this morning in Melbourne. So what are you talking about? We just saw the rain. It's good. Look, the clouds are like, Look, the streets are still wet. I'll tell you there's a drought this morning in Melbourne for the Word of God. I tell you there's a drought for the rain of God. I'm talking, listen, I'm not into Joel's thing about the latter rain and the early rains. I'm not into that. But I'm telling you now there's a drought of the Spirit of God in this God-forsaken city. And what this city needs is we need Elijah to hit their knees and cry out to God and say, Father, we pray for a revival in Melbourne. Listen to me. Listen to me. You say, are you in caught up into this end time revival? No, I'm not. The revival is if God changed people's hearts away from their sin to Him. Not for people to come up in their thousands. I'm asking, I'm saying this morning, this, this God-forsaken city called Melbourne needs people to hit their needs and start praying for people who's going to eternity without God. I'm telling you, in this place here, this God-forsaken nation called now, Australia needs people, men and women who can hit their knees, men and women who are effective, fervent in prayers to God for lost souls. That's what we need. But the nation, you know what they do? The church is what they do. They look upon themselves. Oh, bless me, God. Bless us. God never called His disciples to bless them. He called them to that through them He can bless the nations. How? By calling back lost souls to Him. That's the rain I'm looking for. That's the rain. You say, what can I do? You can be an Elijah. You can be an Elijah. You can go every single day this week, every single day this month, every single day for the next year. You can say, Lord, my prayer is going to be hitting my knees and calling out to you, Lord, for a cloud as small as a man's hand. But what I'm calling for, Lord, is for the souls of lost people. Pray for the nation. This is what he tells us. He says, first of all, Timothy, I... I ask that you give prayers and supplications and intercessions. Have you ever interceded for somebody? Do you know what intercessive prayer is? He asked this young pastor to do that. Somebody comes to you and they've got troubles in their lives. You know what you do? 
You don't go to bed until you've hit your knees and you pray for that family, for that young man, for that young lady. You pray and you pray for their souls. You cry out to God. You say, Lord, 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 make a difference in their lives. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's so many people who's lost their way who needs to come back to God. Intercessor prayer is you put yourself between that person and God and you plead for them. Listen to me. You plead for them. You say, give me an example of somebody who pleaded, I give you the garden of Gethsemane. There is a man who walked into that garden and he put himself, listen to me, he put himself between you and God sitting in this place and it's only by his mercy that you are sitting here, not somebody else. That is intercessor prayer. The Bible says that his sweat drops became like blood. That is, listen to me, listen to me, that is the effective permanent prayer of a righteous man pray for the nation pray for your brothers and sisters pray for me pray for your brothers and sisters not selfishly he says first of all timothy i ask you to do this for all men verse 2 he says for kings listen to this and all who are in authority so that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and reigns. But Lord, how can I pray for these people who's voted in all these godless things? Don't you, don't you think God knows about that? He knows. He knows. But we still need to pray for these kings. These politicians, we need to pray for them. You know what we pray for them? We pray that the Lord will save their souls. Uh, we pray that the Lord will who commit their, or, or convict their hearts. Because, you know, we can jump up and down with our placates and say, we're against what you say, we're against what you say. We will achieve nothing. The only thing that's going to happen, the police will come in, there's going to be a riot, there's going to be fights. You might walk away with a blue eye, be knocked by somebody. But here is the big change. If these people's hearts are touched by our Lord Jesus Christ, and they are changed from the inside out. You don't need a placade. You don't need a riot. Because the Spirit of God will direct their footpaths. He says, pray for them. For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You see, I didn't even have to say that. He says it himself. Who will have all men. What does all mean? All means everyone. All. It even includes the kings. It includes the kings. It doesn't say that we can't express our position against things they stand for. We can and we must express our uh, opposition. But we must also pray for them. Let, let's finish off. The fourth thing is he says pray for the people, wanderers. The wanderers. Verse 19, he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that who turns a sinner from his error in his ways will save a soul from death and cover it in a multitude of sins. I give it to you. That he didn't say pray there. You don't find the word pray there. But I believe that God wants us to pray for these people. You know what a wanderer is? Back in the day they had these stargazers. The word there describes for us what a wanderer is. They would look up into the skies and they would map all the stars in the skies. And then they will see one. Every time they mapped him, it wasn't that line. But this star today is going into a different direction. That's what they call the wanderer. 
It is the same principle here. The wanderer from the truth. The truth there is the Word of God. And we have so many wanderers from that. People who wander away from the Word of God. And now it says that we need to have someone to take this person back. Because they are in error. They walk away from the right side. Now the question is, how do we do this? How do we turn a person back? Well, you've got to be honest with them. Sometimes they're not going to like it, but you have to tell them the error. And I would want to suggest you go and do what Matthew 18 says. You go one-on-one to that person, and first of all, you talk to them like that, one-on-one. But there's a clear direction for us. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if any man is overtaken in a fault, you the spiritual ones restore such one in the spirit of meekness, Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You see how we do that? In meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is power under control. I've explained it to you before. We've got a few new babies in the church. Now if I take uh, Philip's beautiful son and I hold him in my arms, do you think I've got enough strength in my arms to kill the boy? Of course I do. I'm strong. Well, I still want to believe I'm strong. But if I'm going to start pressing on that baby and I use all my strength and I press him, press him, press him, what's going to happen? My power is going to kill the boy. It's going to hurt him. But I don't do that. Why? Because I'm meek. I control my power. I hold the baby softly in my hands. But I hold him secure. Because you and I know that babies have got a mind of their own. Because you hold them like this and all of a sudden they want to see what's going on behind them and they throw their back back. And what can happen? They can fall out of your hands. So I still use the power to hold that baby. But I control it. That's what it is. You say, how does this apply? You see a brother go wrong. And you've got all the word knowledge. You know, you don't walk up to the brother and take the Bible and slap him through the face with all the scripture verses. You're doing it wrong. You see right there, the Bible says it there. And what, just wait a minute. The other day you were doing this. The Bible says it there. And you know what this is? The Bible says it there. That is bashing, Bible bashing. Have you seen Bible bashing in your time? Oh man, husbands and wives love to do it to one another at some stage. <laughs> oh honey. Oh no, don't, don't you honey me. Come let me read to you what it says here in Isaiah chapter. Okay. <laughs> got to be with meekness it's got to be under control you've got the whole power of the word of God behind you but you control that power you control it I was working in New Zealand with a a Buddhist lady an Indian Buddhist lady and you know as he came and she told me all the stories and her her, her religion her faith that I could have smashed the whole thing right there. I could have said, you know, you, you Buddhist, you got to read in the The Bible says it here in Proverbs. No, no, no. What, what do you do? I didn't even quote two verses, but I took the Bible verses because this is one thing about the Buddhists. They love clever sayings. If you come to them and you give them a short one-liner and it sounds beautiful, they'll grab a pen. They love it. Buddhists love it. Am I right? They love beautiful sayings. So what I did is I took the Proverbs. I will take a proverb and I will obviously learn it off by heart. And we would sit like this and I, we would talk and I, and I would just say the proverb. I wouldn't say proverb 30 verse so on because he will know it's the Bible. I would just say the proverb. And she goes, what did you say? And I repeat it. She grabs a pen and paper. And she goes out and write down the proverb. 
And you know, weeks and months will go past, and we will sit there one day and say, you remember that day you said, and she will quote the proverb back. I thought, how wonderful is that? So this lady came in a car crash. She nearly died. She came out of a coma. The owner of the business is there. The first person she wanted to see from our company was who? It was me. She asked for me. I didn't even go to the hospital the first time. But when, when uh, the guy came back, he said to me, John, you better go there because he asked for you. Friends, I had all the power to smash a religion. We can. We can talk Jehovah Witnesses and smash them, all of them. We've got the power of the word behind us. You've got the whole, this makes sense. No other book, all the other books doesn't make sense. The Quran does not make sense, believe me. It falls apart. The book of Joseph Smith, the Mormons, falls apart. There's so many shortcomings in it. The only book that does not fall apart is you've got the full power of this behind you to turn the errors back. But he says, use it in meekness. Use it in love. That's what he says to turn them back. There is a way to do this. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8, he says, Above all things, have fervent love to yourself, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't say we're hiding the sins. It covers it. It covers it. Oh, man, I, I've been in once time in a, in a prayer meeting, and, man, I'll tell you what, prayer meetings becomes gossip seasons. Oh, Lord, I just want to pray for Sister Anne. You know, she loves her husband, but I saw her the other day kissing another man, Lord, and I just today want to bring her to you in prayer and ask you, Lord, to help her. What is he doing? You're not covering your sin. You're bringing it out to the whole church. And that starts another gossip session just at the coffee table. Do you hear what he said about Anne? We better go and find out what he said about Anne. No, no, no. The Bible says, for love will cover a multitude. What is this? You remember when he said that we confess our sins to one another? Say this brother comes to you and he says, he comes to you and he takes you. Maybe, you know, he didn't do anything wrong with you, but he just needs somebody to talk to. And he, he comes to you and he says, you know, brother, I want you to pray with me, please, brother, because I've got this thing in my life. I know it's a sin, and then he tells you what the sin is. And he says, man, I trust you as a man of God to come. I want you to help pray with me. People can do that. You know, we don't confess to man, but we can ask people to help us with I've had so many people over time come and tell me about their things. Oh, the first thing, you know, this brother sitting there and saying, I can't wait to talk to my wife. She ain't going to believe what this guy just told me. But you might not know that your wife is the newspaper of the church. How's it going to be then awkward when this story comes around again? And everybody knows about what this poor brother said. Is that bringing him closer to the cross or further? It's going to chase him away. He says it here, we need to have love and we need to have wisdom when, when we pray and when we help and turn back these wanderers. These wanderers. I was thinking about these uh, three pastors who were sitting and they were sharing about things in their lives. The one pastor says, oh brothers, pray for me because um, I've got such a problem with gambling. He says, I just can't wait. Every Sunday when I preach to get in and go and put in my dollars and gamble a fair bit. The pastor said, oh, brother, we'll pray for you. The second pastor said, well, now I'll have to confess to you, brothers, as well. He says, oh, brothers, please, please pray for me. You know, I like to look at other women in the church. He says, but if you guys pray for me, 
oh, brother, we'll pray for you. You shouldn't look. You're married, yes. The third pastor was sitting there with a smile on his face. They go and you? He says, oh, brothers, pray for me. Because I've got a gossip tongue and I can't wait to get out of this room. <laughs> Friends, this is what he says. We need, we need to stand by the word of God. It says, above all things, a fervent love to yourselves. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So let's finish this morning. I want to ask you a few questions to, to think about. Over this time, just, just in, in reflection over what we've done with James. I just want to ask you these 10 questions. We'll pray and have a coffee. But I want you to think about it. There is a good time for us to examine our hearts and see how mature we are. The first question is, am I becoming more and more patient in the testings of life? That's questions you need to ask yourself. If you say no to that question, I want to urge you to go back to the book of James and read through it again. If you say no to that again, I want you to go back and to listen to the sermon about patience and to have those patience. Because you and I know that tests will come your way. Secondly, do I play with temptation or resist it from the start? You and I know that if you start playing with temptation, you know how it is. You know, you say, I'm not going to sin. I'm, I just want to see what's going on there. I'm curious. But you know what temptation is going to do? It's going to pull you in. Am I able to control my tongue? Are you? If you say no to that, I urge you to go back and read the book of James again. If you say no to that, go and listen to that segment again. Go and listen to that old sermon. Pray to the Lord. Say, Lord, please speak to my heart. Help me to control my tongue. Am I a peacemaker rather than a troublemaker? Do people come to me for spiritual wisdom? Do people come to you for that? And if not, ask the Lord why. Am I a friend of God or a friend of the world? Do I make plans without considering the will of God? That's a big one. Are you? And if you say, yes, I am making plans outside of the will of God, friends, I urge you, read the word, read the James again. Am I selfish when it comes to money? Am I? Is it mine? Oh, it's all mine. It, you, you go and touch my money. It ain't yours. Go and listen to that segment again. Do I naturally develop the depend on prayer when I find myself in some kind of trouble? Listen to today's sermon again. Am I the kind of person others seek for prayer support? I want to call prayer support people in this church up. I want to call you to support people in prayer. And then finally, what is my attitude towards wandering brother? Do I criticize and gossip? Or do I seek to restore him in love? Now I'll finish with these words which I saw. It's not my own words. Don't just grow old. Grow up. Say that to the person next to you. Come on. Say, don't just grow old. Grow up. What a wonderful book, the book of James, isn't it? Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, I enjoy your word. I love your word. I hunger for your word. I thirst for your word. And this morning again you spoke to us.